and welcome to season two of They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. That was another really good hit for you. The last recording we just did, not to be confused with last week's episode, you had a really good My Name is Liam, and this was another good one. Oh, I'm I'm starting to take this thing seriously now. I'm putting my all into it. <laughs> we got all the kinks out in the first 53 episodes, and now yeah, we're cruising. <laughs> season one is always different. Season one of Buffy, Supernatural, Boy Meets World. It's always so clear that they're just getting their footing, and then season two they take off. I'm taking off now. Yeah, we're here. We're fucking flying, and um, it's weird to be here. It's cool. Um, a little vision behind the curtain here. Uh, we're recording this before. <laughs> the uh the anniversary so it's weird to be hyping ourselves up like this but um yeah man fucking season two we're flying we're here we've got a lot more movies to get to uh we've got a lot more guests to have on we're gonna have good friends back um we're gonna see some new faces i bet probably um we're gonna try some new mediums of visual entertainment um at least one potentially two smellow vision mellow vision skate four Skate for yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that comes in season two, man. Yeah, maybe that'll be like a know. season five. Um, That's exactly where my mind went. Spoilers yeah. for season five. If they made another one, we're gonna start talking about video games. <laughs> um, but before we start talking about video games and Smellovision, we thought we sat back right and we were thinking, you know, for the season finale. No, 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 not the season finale. For the episode before the anniversary episode. Uh, we wanted to do something that felt like a memorable send-off, right? So we're like, what would be the weird meta choice to make? And that choice was the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th Dimension. But to start a new season, you want to get off on the right foot. And I think for us, that meant going back to to our roots, going back to what we started the show on. And I think like setting that tone is really important, right? Mm-hmm. So... We did the only thing we could do, which was go back to the series, the first series we ever talked about. Um, for anybody who may not know, um, when we were first trying this whole thing out, we had um, a bunch of episodes recorded that wound up getting released out of order um, because we wanted to give ourselves a chance to sort of get the training wheels off. And I guess uh, going into season two, we're getting the other wheel off and now we're riding a podcast unicycle. But um, once the training wheels were off, we started recording like weekly episodes that started going out normally. But the first episode we ever did, which did eventually get released later, um, was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. I'm going to go with reboot. Texas Chainsaw 3D. (laughs) Yes. And um, we wanted to go back to what what we're known for, I would argue, because horror, we do a lot of that. So maybe that's our shtick. Um, more than uh, the already existing shtick of where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. Um, for anybody who forgot when I said that five minutes ago. And um, we picked a real doozy of a film. <laughs> a real fucking doozy of a film, I think. That movie is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation aka the return of the texas chainsaw massacre um it's from 1995 although its theatrical release was two years later um, which is always a good sign for your movie 
um, is for it to get a really fucked up release. Um, it's directed and written by Kim Henkel, who worked on the original, co-wrote it with Toby Hooper. Um, cinematography by Levi is how I'm going to go with the pronunciation, Isaacs. Um, music by Wayne Bell and Robert Jacks. All three people don't have Wikipedia pages. The editor, Sandra Adair, does, and she does Richard Linklater movies. That's what she does now, is like all of Richard Linklater's movies, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but that's it. Uh, it's not like Buckaroo Banzai, which we might reference a lot, not because it's the last movie we talked about formally, but we literally did it like 35 minutes ago. <laughs> to really peel... How far back should I peel this curtain? Yeah, so we just finished uh, talking about Buckaroo Banzai for scheduling reasons. And um, so that's front of mind. But what is about to become front of mind for the rest of your life after hearing us talk about this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation. And not to be outdone, this movie has some wild casting reveals. And I, I think I want to do this first. Liam, do you want to talk about the buildup to us watching this movie? <laughs> Yeah, so this is one we've had on the list uh, for months now. Um, I, I, we hadn't we hadn't been reserving it for the season two premiere. We realized that would be perfect uh, just in the last few weeks here. But I had it on the list just because I thought it was um, just another great pick for our concept. Even though we had already revisited Texas Chainsaw, it's it's a movie that came out and no one really talks about it. Um, and it is panned by fans of the franchise. It was panned by critics at the time. And I just thought it would be really good to check out sometime. And so we've had it on the list and we decided it would be really cool to go back and do Texas Chainsaw again. And I had seen the movie already. And so I said, to Corey, I said, don't look anything up about this movie because I knew who our two big stars were. And I knew that... Um, <laughs> In some cases, it's super obvious they're on the poster and everything, but in some posters, they're not. And also, um, it's just we, we don't often see really big names on this podcast because we're no. often seeing direct-to-video stuff or low-budget stuff. And so you don't find anyone like this, especially in a horror movie especially in the fourth installment of a horror movie. And so I just really wanted to keep the stars of this film from Corey. And so, Corey, how did that work out? Did you manage to sneak away from all those details and, I and go did. in The only word I saw before the movie started about the movie was the word prom, which um, actually is fine because it's not a huge element of the movie. Um, but... It's funny because you took pains to make sure I didn't spoil anything, but the movie gets it right out of the way immediately. Um, I I know, and that's and that's a big part of uh, of this movie's legacy, right? Is that they pushed the stars of it so hard once they finally put it out in 1997. So their their names are on the poster, their faces are on the poster, they're because, right at the top of the cast list, you because, know. Because. Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey had time to get more famous. Yes. And when we say oh that, everybody, they aren't just in the background. They're the leads. Um, they're not. They're the absolute leads. It is, it is insane. We got Renee as our protagonist and Matthew McConaughey is our the main antagonist, even above Leatherface. He is he's the bad face, guy. Leatherface, dare is I say, a footnote in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so 
that was fucking i started cackling like an idiot when i saw those opening credits i was like oh fuck we're in it dude like we're fucking here and yeah so for anybody who doesn't know i'll give you a quick sense of the cast the rest of it anyway a lot of people who um i don't like to boil people's whole existences down to this but don't have wikipedia pages so i don't have a lot to say about them uh we've also got robert jacks who worked on the music as well uh Tony Perensky, Joe Stevens, Lisa Marie Newmeyer, John Harrison, Tyler Cohn, James Gale, Deborah Marshall, John Dugan, Paul A. Partain, and Marilyn Burns. I believe there's also, um, unless I've said their names already because I'm, I'm not super up to date on my Texas Chainsaw real life lore. Uh, there's cameos from like the original cast, some of it, uh, throughout the movie. And um, the quick rundown of it, because I think we shouldn't waste any time in getting to the, the core of the film here. So we've got four. We've got four kids. We've got, we've got Jenny. We've got Heather. We've got Barry, and we've got Sean. And they're all at prom, and they're not all having a great time at prom. Heather is trying to find Barry really hard, and then finds him cheating on her just in broad daylight in public, just outside, not really giving a shit, hiding shittily behind a pillar. And uh, she gets upset, tries to steal his car. And then when they both get in the car to leave, they find uh, that Jenny and Sean were just in the back seat of the car for some reason. Uh, they think it's because they were getting high, but it's never clarified why they were sitting in the back of a car that wasn't theirs in the parking lot of their prom. And frankly, I love that. That's perfect. And um, they go to drive home um, and they wind up having to take a detour into like a shitty woods and they end up getting in an accident with another car because Heather is distracted while driving, which is why you shouldn't text and drive, even though that's not what she was doing. And um, from there, uh, they try to get help, and uh, they contact the wrong people. Yeah, and uh, the next generation gets Texas Chainsaw Massacred. Yeah, they really fucking do, man. And um, obviously, we will get into... There's a lot to. Fu- there's a lot here. This There's... there's a lot to unpack for an 87 minute film yes yeah a real buckaroo bonsai situation yeah although i do want to cover a couple things right off the bat just around the making of the movie yeah because there's a lot this has a pretty uh interesting and dense wikipedia page for a random sequel to a franchise there there's a lot of cool stuff regarding this movie yeah, and so, like, yeah, there was, like, a documentary about the making of the movie. It was in development for a long time. Uh, the post-production took forever, and then it was premiered at South by Southwest, which is hilarious. Um, Wikipedia says it reviewed really well. Columbia bought it. They agreed to theatrical and home video releases uh, with advertising. Um, it was screened in 27 theaters in 1995. Then it was released in Japan. And then it was shelved for two years. I mean, that that must have been an interesting two years for Texas Chainsaw fans. I wonder if, you know, people in North America were uh, spending a whole bunch of money to get mailed copies from Japan. And then we have, um, according to producer Robert Kuhn, Columbia Pictures had deliberately pushed the film back to await the release of star Renee Zellweger's new film, Jerry Maguire, which the producers agreed to. And McConaughey's agent then purportedly put pressure on Columbia Pictures to not release the film theatrically, which caused complications. Um, And then it was released limited 1997 as Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation. And um, 
that was a recut version of the film, which cut seven minutes out of the director's cut. Um, and it barely earned shit. Uh, in both of those theatrical runs, this movie had a $600,000 budget and it barely made $200,000 back. You hate to see it. Honestly, you really fucking hate to see it. I think that's a lot of important context is there. I'm seeing more on the Wikipedia page, like how movies like Scream had come out by that point. And um, the movie kind of missed its window to not be hampered by both the popularity of its stars and just the like progression of the genre like it, it ends up in a weird spot i i would say that's true that's a really good point that i didn't think of that this is uh post scream like immediately post scream and yeah. so the horror realm has totally changed and this is this was shot in uh, i think 94 um yeah and even even then it's a lot more reminiscent of 80s slasher films and so i, I can see that this there, there wasn't a huge market for this, even though Renee and Matthew were in it. Yeah, and like we've said, too, um, it doesn't rely very strongly. It relies on the name recognition of the series, but not Leatherface. Leatherface is um, a tertiary character at best. Like, Leatherface is not the point of this movie, um, even a little bit, which maybe would turn some people off. Like, there is some... Leatherface action like quote unquote but like not really <laughs> so um if that's what people were looking for then you're not gonna get that here yeah you, you don't get Leatherface and um it's also the kind of movie that Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey fans at the time I can't imagine would Wanted. seek out because yeah. it's uh it's called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and even that has got me thinking I wonder how many Matthew McConaughey fans who have uh, um, become really fond of him over the last decade or so have have sought this out just because he's in it and have been met with this wild, wild movie. It is truly insane that these actors are in this film because, um, you know, they're they're both huge, but it seems like the culture has done a pretty good job of burying it because you don't hear about it at all um and they're the stars of it so it's it's a really fascinating it's a really fascinating piece of a uh, cinema history yeah, i like think horror ephemera at this point because it's like not even on blu-ray like you yeah. have to buy an overpriced dvd off of the internet to watch this movie or just find it somewhere so like i guess the studio succeeded in fucking burying it like i mean I'm going to imagine the marketing probably wasn't doing it a lot of favors. I'm looking at the poster on the Wikipedia page and it's fucking trash. So like, mm, um, yeah. and it's also predominantly Leatherface, uh, predominantly cross-dressed Leatherface, which maybe wouldn't have been what was going to get butts in seats at that point. Um, yeah. And it's also talking shit about the original sequels, uh, that opening like narrator who's, uh, the, as the Wikipedia page has it here, um, describes the other two movies as two minor yet apparently related incidents. Yeah, that was hilarious. I thought that was so Yeah, funny. that's for the fans. I, did, I figured that might be what it was talking about, but I wasn't totally sure. Um, I still haven't seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though I've seen this and the reboot now. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, I could I could have sworn. I was going to ask, but my guess 
my my recollection was that you checked it out for that first recap. Yeah, episode, no, I that didn't. Is interesting. Yeah, no, I got I got to what I got to Carrie and I got to fucking Cabin Fever and I got to Halloween Exorcist. and Exorcist and Nightmare on Elm Street. But I think That's I think good, I was at like drop. oh there was more too. But I think I was just at like horror capacity at that point, and I wanted to take a there just wasn't room for it. Maybe this is the time where I have to finally go watch the first one it's true so so next time we do a texas chainsaw movie and i'll tell you there are others in the franchise that uh fit our criteria so next time we get to one um i I think it's it'll be cool if you've seen the original but i'm also very glad that we get to check out one more and you still haven't seen the original because that is that's it is just a really interesting angle I can I know what some of the send-ups are like the ending of this movie with the boy spinning with the chainsaw. It's like I know what that is. Like I know that that's the did ending. Did you say the the boy spinning with the chainsaw? I did. I don't know why I said it like that. Like like the boy being Leatherface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Leatherface boy. Yeah. That chainsaw guy. Yeah, Leatherfaced boy. That's my favorite. <laughs> that's my favorite 80s ballad. Is when like Hall and Oates sang lovingly about the Leatherfaced boy. Leave. <laughs> can you write a song about the leather-faced boy i can hell yeah, yeah you can he's got a lot of good history and, he does uh, and it's and, got oh, yeah, history that this movie doesn't really know how to use <laughs> dare i say um, um all i'm gonna say is someone gets put on a meat hook for some reason briefly <laughs> yeah and and again dude let's uh let's remind people and each other that this is written and directed by the co-writer of the original movie and so this is uh this is coming straight from someone that was there and and knows this stuff and so it is this is truly um one of the most i think fascinating horror movies just on paper yeah it's weird because it's so directly related to that first one in like terms of how it was made but like it's as if in writing it he didn't want to write about it, but it literally says like they wanted to go back to the original movie and like get the script and whatever. Um, but like, there's never anything that was like, I consciously wanted to write around, uh, it not feeling like the first movie or something. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Cause it doesn't, even as someone who hasn't seen the first one, this doesn't feel like the creative team of the first one. What this feels like to me, so when I realized who wrote and directed it, this shocked me. Um, how I was interpreting this was in an Exorcist 3 carry 2 style, we gave the franchise to someone else and here's what they did with it. Mm, and, and, and that's been done that, many times in the franchise now. But that but, was the yeah. mindset I had the whole movie. So then mm-hmm. when the movie ended and I went and I checked who Kim Henkel was, I was fucking floored. <laughs> yeah. Also, I will admit, because again, I was talking about uh, Carrie 2 in there, and um, we've had a few, and like with Pet Cemetery 2 also, we've had a few where franchises are handed over to um, women to do writing and directing, and I've really liked how most of those have turned out. And I'm just going to be honest, and this is embarrassing, and I'm just going to have to own it, I was pretty confident this movie was written and directed by a woman based on the name and the themes. So then to so see I. to see that it wasn't and it was the guy who co-wrote the first movie was quite shocking. 
Yes, I, dude, I'm with you. I thought that Kim Henkel was a woman for a really long time as well. I knew during this watch that um, the writer and director was a man, but I thought um, even, I think it was the first time I watched this movie because I've seen it once before. I'm fairly certain throughout that entire watch, I thought it was written and directed by a woman. And I knew that it was the co-writer of Texas Chainsaw, but I just, I thought the co-writer of Texas Chainsaw was a woman. And I always thought that was so cool. And then <laughs> I, I learned at some point that uh, men can be named Kim as well. Yeah, Sorry K- about that. Kim Henkel fucked it up for everybody. Really quick, just to address that early. So when we bring it up later, it's maybe not as, um, it doesn't require a setup. Um, from Wikipedia, Henkel also, oh, my voice cracked really bad there, wowee, welcome to season two, everybody, um, I'm a 22-year-old I'm man and my voice cracks, um, I'm Hen- a 22-year-old leather-faced boy, <laughs> <laughs> and my voice cracks and I'm looking for love, <laughs> um, Henkel also deliberately wrote themes of female empowerment into the script, specifically in the Jenny character, quote, it's her story. It's about her transformation, her refusal to shut up, to be silenced, to be victimized, and by extension, her refusal to be oppressed, even by culture. Bringing Jenny into a world in which culture was grotesquely exaggerated was a way of bringing her to see her own world more clearly. That is to say, my intent was to present a nightmarish version of Jenny's world in the form of the Chainsaw family, which is the funniest thing in the world, the Chainsaw family. Uh, in order to enlarge her view of her own world. Um, I think the movie is largely successful in that, and I am prepared to say this and make it sound like close-minded. I don't think it's like a malicious thing, but because I had assumed based on the name it was a woman at the helm, that all felt very sensible to me, and I understood why it was there, because it felt like a natural way to carry the franchise forward in someone else's hands. So again, to realize that that wasn't the case, very surprising to me. Um, but it is some, one of the things about the movie um, that I think is really effective. Good. So it's still effective to you knowing that it's written by and directed by a man. Yeah. Well, it doesn't retroactively make it worse, right? Like that. I don't know why it would. Um, right. Yeah. I, I don't know why it would either. I thought that's what, what you were going to get at though. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It still works. Totally. I was just surprised because I think I would have imagined that mid-90s horror filmmaking, as we've seen repeatedly, uh, wasn't really there yet. (laughs) So uh, Mm. unless it was like Cat Shay. So it was kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. I I get what you mean. Yeah. um, So you had seen it before. Do you want to talk a bit about like what your first viewing experience was like? You don't have to go super into the details because we'll get into it more, but I want to know what you were coming in with because like we said, I was coming in with nothing. Sure. So I came across this movie at a Salvation Army that I was working at. Um, I, I I would sort through donations all day and we got a box of dvds and one of them was this movie it's exactly the kind of movie that would come through uh, a salvation army you know <laughs> someone like someone has owned this for 20 years and then needs to get it out of their house and so i saw it and i don't think i had ever heard of it before i saw the the title um i didn't know about its legacy certainly didn't know who was in it and i did not own a copy that had matthew mcconaughey and renee zellweger's faces on the front though it did have their names on the front um i figured that it was just putting their names on the front because they show up somewhere in small the movie roles and they were pushing it hard yeah and um so i picked it up just because its name i paid like the buck or two for the movie and i brought it home and it sat in my basement for a while 
and uh, I didn't do any research on it before I decided to watch it. And <laughs> the circumstances in which I watched it, dude, oh my gosh. I was hanging out with my nephew. Again? Um, with this? Yeah. We hang out you a lot. You show your nephew guy. the worst films. Well, I hadn't seen it before. And I don't I mean know, worse. I didn't know it would be so bad. I didn't mean... I mean bad for a child, just to be clear. Yeah. I didn't know it would be bad for a child. Liam, it's called Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. He's a he's a boy. He's just a leather-faced boy. <laughs> okay, okay. But to... <laughs> Uh, in my defense, he and I had already watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 2003. So he was he was uh, ready to go. He shouldn't just have seen that either. Well, I guess I can't excuse <laughs> that one. How old was he at the time? Oh, man. Uh, this was the first movie I watched in the year 2018. I watched it on January 1st, 2018. And I know that because I remember putting it on and thinking afterward, damn, that's the movie I started off the and entire year happy with. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he would have been uh, 2018. He would have been about eight, nine years old. Uh, Too young. But not, <laughs> he's not like he was like five. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, eh, it could be worse. And so this was a movie that I had on DVD. I just I hung up the phone our... on Child Protective Services. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were just hanging out in our dark basement, and I thought, hey, this might be, <laughs> this might be cool. Me and my um, nephew love to hang out in the dark basement and watch age-inappropriate films. Yeah. And I had seen the original at this point. I had seen the remake, and so I and I was still a big horror guy in 2018. And so I figured because I had never heard of the next generation which is such a ridiculous subtitle my favorite star itself. trek yeah yeah starring uh, patrick stewart i figured that um this would would just be uh low budget bad goofy uh killer killer movie that we could just kind of choke and laugh at uh -huh. um and so i put it on and we watched it and um are you implying it I, wasn't that <laughs> no no i'm not implying that at all uh that's exactly what it was and so i came away from it um thinking well that was uh that was definitely the next generation more so, than it was the texas chainsaw massacre yeah and i just want to confirm because you used the word bad just now like enjoyable mm -hmm. but bad is mm -hmm. that that was your original assessment is that the movie was bad uh yes okay i just want yes. to get that and, out there in fact i know that to be true because I went on Letterboxd uh, yesterday. Just I actually, to, I saw um, this too. I saw your score. Yeah, I went to, to check it out and see um, if I should log it. And I saw that I had previously rated it two out of five, which is a four out of 10. And I would have done that. Um, you gave it like a knock, knock out of 10 from me. Yeah. And, and I probably would have done that right after watching it, if not a couple months after. And so that was what I rated the movie shortly after seeing it for the first time. Um, and and that's 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 what I had going into this. I had seen it about two years ago, hadn't really thought about it since. Um, I watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre again just a few weeks ago um, out of coincidence. I didn't know we were planning to do this movie at the time. So the original is fresh in my head. And this movie had largely, largely just faded from my memory. I, had, I could imagine a couple scenes. I knew that Matthew and Renee had pretty big 
parts in it. I knew that Leatherface was kind of sidelined. I knew the prom setup. So a lot of it was was in my memory, but I couldn't really recall how I felt about it. And so that two out of five was honestly uh, kind of illuminating to me because I wouldn't have been able to guess that that's what I had rated it at the time. Okay. And so... Did you have any expectations then coming back to it? Because from the sounds of it, the answer is no. That you were just kind of like, let's see what happens. This is almost a fresh start with it, basically. Yeah, I'd say that's totally right. Because in the last two years, I I haven't heard any um, any opinions in the no. horror world, really. This isn't a movie that has, has caught on in the last two years. Uh, it's not a movie that I've heard anyone If we champion. like this movie, we have the chance to resurrect it. Yeah, that's and true. And if we and don't so, like it, we have the chance to bury it forever. Yeah, and so I was just, <laughs> I was, I, I, I was kind of thinking fresh start on this one because, um, I, I wasn't confident that I was going to feel the same way I did about it two years ago because I've put in a lot of work in the last two years of uh, uh watching a lot more um slasher films, uh, reading a lot more about horror movies, getting more acquainted with the Texas Chainsaw franchise, uh, <laughs> even just in this podcast. Yeah. And so I felt that I was better equipped to to figure out why I like or don't like this movie. Whereas the first time around, I was just sitting with my nephew. We had fun for an hour and a half. And yeah. the, the feeling afterward was just, oh, that's kind of a shoddy horror movie. Yeah, I like how we're both still managing to play our cards very close to our chest with how we actually feel. Um, <laughs> so I want you to go first. Um, so yeah. you're revisiting it. You're back. You've seen it again now. Liam, for the first time in season two, what did you think? Well, I guess it'll be the only time in season two I asked, what did you think about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, to be fair. But, Liam... For the first and last time. For the first and only time. What did you think about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation? All right. So I will go first, Corey, and I will tell you. Uh Uh-huh. But... Uh-huh. We have done a whole season together, and so I think it would be fun if you tell me what you think I thought of this movie. Oh, fuck. Okay, well, I'm going to be honest. In our preliminary talking about it, I thought you were probably going to like it a lot. Just now, or you mean no, before, like the, before episode? the episode? Because I hadn't okay. really seen it yet, or like as I was watching it, I was sort of getting the vibe that you were probably going to like it. But now that you've given me this additional context, honestly, it's it's tough because I'm oscillating between either the really heightened stuff you're really going to dig and it's going to be a way better experience now, or in your memory, the wild stuff is going to have worked better than it does now and you're going to be kind of middling. Um, just because it's more exciting, I'm going to take a swing and say you liked it more. Because it's better to like things, and I hope you liked it more. Um, I guess we'll find out. Thank you. Okay, that's a that's a great analysis. I loved hearing that. So I will uh, I will put your curiosity to rest oh my here. God. I'm I'm losing it, dude. I need to know. <laughs> I loved the shit out of this movie, yes! dude. I was <laughs> I was blown away that I gave this a two out of five. This is uh. Dude, I would say one of my favorite horror movies of the 90s, because there's there's not a whole lot of 90s horror movies, but even if there were a lot of 90s horror movies, fuck it. This movie 
kicks ass. It's one of my favorite, I'd say, 80s slasher movies as well. Wrong decade, um, but sure, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if but if we're lumping that in, right? I have my 80s favorites. If this were an 80s movie, it would be up there. Um, this is right up there with the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. I love. I love the original. I love number two, and I really love that remake um, from 2003. So this is. <laughs> This is probably, um, I might put it above Texas Chainsaw Massacre Remake. And so this is like top three. Um, it's definitely above Texas Chainsaw 3D, but but I love those first two Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. And so I would put this right up there. And I'm going to say that similar to Black Christmas, I am blown away <laughs> at how good we're finding the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise to be because I think this is... Uh, an incredible piece of horror history between Matthew McConaughey's performance, between um, the way it plays with what we understand Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be. And I don't think it's, it's, um, it's, I don't think I don't think that it's unprecedented what this is doing to the franchise. So no. it really confuses me that people have such a vendetta against this movie because Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 also kind of takes the piss out of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that is also written and directed by Toby Hooper um, and so this kind of feels like another uh, really cool take on the Texas Chainsaw franchise and I think it's it's Black Christmas tier because in every one of those three Texas Chainsaw movies that I love, we're getting a different approach to the material. And so this movie really, really, really impressed me. When we talked about Buckaroo Banzai two weeks ago, a.k.a. an hour ago, <laughs> um, I said I said that I, I really love movies where just there's so much that happens and everything is thrown at the screen and it's just so wild, but that there's a, a foundation in order for all that wild stuff to stand on. And I think that this movie does it. I think that this last the last 30 minutes of this movie, man, is so wild and goes to some cool places. But I think that the work has been done in order for me to be there with it. And so I the last 30 I, minutes are fucking chaos yeah and so dude i absolutely dig this movie i think it, it's a great party movie it's a great pizza movie i think it is just it's a fun solo watch if you're a horror movie fan um or if you I just, just like uh, movies yeah i mean totally because it's honestly this isn't that vicious of a horror movie no. this isn't evil dead 2013 um this isn't uh, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is a bit gorier than the previous movie, I don't think this goes that far either. It's largely a performance piece. Because yeah. like Corey said, Leatherface is is tertiary. There are literally two other villains in the movie that I think uh, take priority over him. And a lot of times they're just talking. There's not a whole lot of torture. There's not a lot of blood and explicit violence. It is a slasher movie, and characters do get uh, dispatched one by one. But it's it's a very um, it's a very restrained and peculiar slasher movie. Borderline PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super busy, and this isn't like a slow burn where no one's getting killed. But also, it 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 does the same thing that the original Texas Chainsaw does, where a lot of the violence is just implied um but then it does a lot that 
the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie does where there's a lot of black comedy and a lot of um, taking what the original did and twisting it around a bit to see it in a different light. And so this movie is just so, so fascinating for Matthew McConaughey, Renee Zellweger fans, <laughs> for Texas Chainsaw fans, for Kim Henkel fans. I mean, for slasher fans, I think this movie is awesome and I would be so glad if our podcast can be uh, uh, a beacon of light in order to get this movie the respect it deserves, a Blu-ray, uh, a commentary track, a new one from Kim Henkel, and one us. with Matthew and Renee on it. Dude, I, I, I'm championing this movie from here on out, and I'm so glad that I, I now have a firm stance on this movie because <laughs> in the last two years, even though I had seen it, I wasn't quite sure where I stood because it, it faded from my memory, and now looking at, a, get, look at it again closer, I know exactly where I stand, and where I stand is that this movie is important and uh needs to be seen and uh i think a case can be made that people who who don't like this movie because of what it's doing to the franchise i think there are some arguments that might be able to get them to think about the movie a bit different because i don't think it can be written off as a low budget goofy bad slasher movie i don't think that's what it is i think this movie kicks ass yeah so um i may have put my cards on the table with my reaction to what you said. But <laughs> I do want to ask, what did you think I was going to think about this movie? Man, I... Because just because I said <laughs> I wrote a lot of notes, that doesn't mean I'm going to like it. We've established that. <laughs> that's that. That's very true. <laughs> um, I think because I didn't get a whole lot of text as the movie was going on, made me think that you would be into it because when a movie isn't working i think a, a lot of the times you and i can tell that the other person isn't gonna like it and that it's gonna be a kind of episode where we don't need to keep our cards close to our chest because it's so obvious the way that one would feel while watching right. this movie and so because i didn't get texts from you halfway through the movie that were like oh this is the kind of movie it is i'm just gonna I'm going to live commentate the movie. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. So so that had me thinking that you might dig it. And then um, beyond that, dude, your, your, your love of the Black Christmas franchise and uh, your love of, um, I mean, particularly the Black Christmas 2006, which is just super uh, kind of campy. Yeah, and it's funny because I can see that comparison now, but I wasn't thinking about it at all when I was watching this. Yeah, and it's also because Matthew McConaughey's performance in particular is just so, so big. Um, I, I I would guess that you liked this movie as well. Um, Liam, <laughs> when the movie ended, I went out and I left the room that I was in and uh, Keiki was coming down the stairs. Friend of the show, Keiki. Friend of the show. Friend of us and therefore friend of the show. Uh, and he was walking down the stairs and I stopped him. And I said, do you want podcast spoilers? And he's like, sure, whatever. Sure. <laughs> and um, I said, okay. We just watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. He's like, okay. And I stopped and I like put my hands out and I looked at him. And I said, this is one of my favorite movies we've ever watched. Oh, man, I'm boogieing over here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Period. Oh. Full stop. It's... It's 
it's in the top five. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Oh my gosh. And let's keep in mind, uh, we just did the, our top 10 episodes. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to end this. up, but so, it's no, in but there. Listen, Corey. Listen, dude. We're in season two now. Oh, shit. This is the first got- big hit. Yeah, so right two. now, right now, you have your top one movie of season two. So oh, everything yeah. where you watch over the next It's all downhill year, from here, it, baby. It just has to be, did I like this more or less than Texas Chainsaw the Next Generation? Yeah, this so, is, this is, man. okay, I don't want to get too carried away because we literally immortalized this in the art for the show. This is like competing with Carrie 2, for yeah. sure. Like undeniably, I I'm can't right there with you. fucking believe that people didn't like this movie. And I want to make unequivocally clear that it's not because it's wild and bad. Like it's not just so over the top that I'm just like hooting and hollering. There was a good amount of hooting and hollering happening. That's a fun sentence, hooting and hollering happening. But um, some of it's just like genuinely fucked. And like some of it's really upsetting, and I was just I was fucking locked in, dude. I was locked mm. in. Like, mm-hmm. um, the performances are all great from the leads, and yes. a couple of the supporting actors. Maybe yes. not all of them. Sean, <laughs> you're bad, yeah, dude. When you get. <laughs> When you get Matthew McConaughey sitting in his truck and acting opposite Sean, like the the caliber oh of actor is just like Sean's so, made a fucking so wood. clear. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's it's super. It's super funny. But yeah, like the movies and the movies nuts. The movies wild. Um, and it's chaos. And Matthew McConaughey has a secret cyber leg. <laughs> Um, yes, which somehow does. isn't made clear until like an hour into the movie. Dude, the remote control so, scene where they're like, fighting over the remote. Why are my batteries not charged? <laughs> and he's like reaching through his pockets and he's got a bunch of different remotes trying to get his leg to work. <laughs> they're like TV remotes. See, it sounds like we're laughing and making fun of it, but we're not. This is fucking awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh i genuinely love jenny she's great the performance is great but the character is great she feels very relatable um she feels like a real person and i think some of what we were talking about with like getting those conscious themes of like empowerment and like agency in there help and it's not just in this like passive generalized like wokeness kind of way like well it was the 90s and wow she's telling her friend heather that her boyfriend is clearly trying to blame her for a problem that he caused by cheating on her and that's cool but like genuinely um that opening conversation in the car really sets up both that she's like capable and intelligent feels like a real person and isn't afraid to like take a stand, which is all things that pay off later in more heightened scenarios. Um, aside from just like coming across as like a, they all come across as regular people, which I think is important. I think it's a, it's stunning to me that this movie doesn't just have like caricatures. And I've seen complaints about the movie that they are just caricatures. And I get that. Like, you kind of have stock 
characters because that's what happens in these kinds of movies. But the performances, I think especially from Heather and Jenny specifically, um, elevate those into feeling like actual human beings. Yes, I, th- I think so too. I think Heather and, and Jenny are both played um, with their... Like genuine nuance, and I'm not joking. Like, Yeah, yeah, nuance and sincerity. And so... Um, they they might be saying lines that read like a caricature, especially in the beginning when you get stuff from Heather yeah. uh, talking about how um, uh, it's <laughs> if uh, if they if they get into a wreck and die, they could write a They'll song about it. Yeah, yeah, and and so they're just she's saying these things that are like um, like ditzy popular girl who who doesn't really uh, know this from that. Yeah, but. But the way she says them, it it feels like someone it feels who genuine. Um, it does, and like teenagers, for, for honestly, teenagers dude, love teenagers, to think about dying. Teenagers are caricatures. We oh, learned this that from, too. from Barry too, as well. That like dudes are shitty. People like Barry absolutely exist, and while Barry and Sean might not have the acting chops to sorry feel. Boys. <laughs> to feel like they are real dudes saying this stuff. Um, I think that the movie it really just has them in, in, in there so that we can focus on Heather and Jenny and then eventually Heather, or sorry, eventually Jenny. I think this movie knows where its strengths are. I think the time it spends with Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger show that. And I think this movie really, really does know what it's doing and the way that it is um, creating a film that will feel like a modern take on the horror movie that we had from the 70s, right from the beginning, um, when we have our first shot beyond the text and the voiceover. Yeah. Is is um, lipstick being applied to someone's mouth. Yeah. And, and <laughs> oh, the immediate thought is that this is... A lot of lipstick, I thought. <laughs> yeah. And the immediate thought... Uh, is that this is Leatherface cross-dressing because we've seen Leatherface wear lipstick in the first movie already and Hang we on. know from the poster. Important. Yeah. I did not think that. And then oh, yeah? when they do the matching shot later when it is Leatherface, I figured it out. But the first shot was not... Like, I was comparing those shots to each other. I wasn't comparing it to, like, external material. Well, that's 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 cool as well that there's enough in the movie for you to find that uh, that dichotomy in the film. I think that's even a step forward. But again, I think that this is a movie that um, is doing a lot of good for the franchise as well as being um, a great horror film for someone like you who hasn't seen those uh those prior incidents that are talked about in the opening narration. So that opening narration makes it clear that this is a movie that is in a franchise and is going to be thinking about what came before it. And so when you get the lipstick being put on right at the beginning, uh, my mind goes to Leatherface. And then it turns out that it's a, a, a teenage girl getting ready to prom. I was like, oh shit, this is like the next generation. These aren't sweaty kids in texas on a road trip like the first movie was this is um this is coming out in a generation texas at a prom 
yeah, like this is coming out like after John Hughes movies and like right around the time of Clueless, like where we have kids in high school um, and, and seeing them at school is a big thing. And so I thought it was really cool to start off at the prom and then take them away from it into the woods. And I think this movie is just a lot more thoughtful than it would appear to be. And I think that's clear from the emphasis that it puts on the good performances. Yeah, and the lack of emphasis it puts on Leatherface. I, I really want to underscore that while we're talking about it because I also think the one of the weaknesses in the movie is that um, the less obvious things, especially for someone who's not familiar with the franchise, like the cross-dressing and the significance of that are like severely underexplored um, and lack any real sense of clarity. It feels like they're playing it for shock rather than like thematic resonance um i i get the indication that seeing as leatherface is someone who wears other people's faces um there's like an i uh, like an identity struggle str wow that's not a word struggle um there's an identity struggle um maybe like body dysmorphia kind of thing happening with that um but i i would have liked if leatherface had been the focus to have seen more of that um granted uh, I also think that you take Leatherface out of this movie and this movie's fucking fine without him. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're at the point now where we've had three Texas Chainsaw movies prior, each one putting an increasing emphasis on Leatherface. The, the third movie in the franchise is called Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Um, but I think it's it's it should be noted that the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre does a very similar thing. Leatherface is not... I would say the main antagonist, at least not for most of the movie. Um, there is a, uh, a father character to Leatherface and a brother character to Leatherface who are much, much scarier. And similar to this movie, they're the talkers. They're the people who are actively um, and constantly antagonizing the other characters, whereas Leatherface is just dispatched to chase people with a chainsaw. And while we do have some big scenes with him near the end of that original movie, um, a lot of the horror doesn't come directly from Leatherface's actions. It comes from seeing the environment that Leatherface is kind of it seems being forced to partake in. And yeah. I think this movie does, does a very similar thing as well. Leatherface feels like a victim often. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that's a lot more compelling. That's why I wish if you're going to keep Leatherface in there, that there were more of that. Um, but I do remember also when we watched the Texas Chainsaw 3D complaining about the fact that they were trying to make Leatherface too sympathetic. I do think there's a line because it's still a chainsaw-wielding murder person. Um, but if you want to go that route, especially in comparison to like other antagonists, I would have liked to see more of it. Um, but I don't think it takes away from the overall experience too much, because the rest of it's really strong. Um, and the movie sets itself up right away, like when you get the establishing of the prom, but you've also got like the chaperone that's asking about breakups and the doorman who fucking secretly hates kids and is drinking. And you kind of get the tone pretty quickly, uh, between that and the, the cheating on Heather. And then they have like banter in the car where it's like, Oh, come on, man. I just like kissed her once. And she's like, Oh, is that why you were like clearly making out and feeling her up? And he's like, <laughs> like my dad, who's a doctor says that if men don't have sex, they die or basically is what he's saying. I know. And, yeah. That's Jenny's hilarious. just like, that's not true. 
Like, yeah, he's trying yeah, to make got, you feel bad. Yeah, that's such. I love love that a conversation to open the movie because yeah. then you get a Jenny's bit of the road trip stuff that it. you have in the first. Yeah, and then he goes like, "So what? I lied. Whatever." Yeah, like, and he's such like a fucking piece of shit. Um, but <laughs> like, you could be so controlling sometimes. Yeah, he says fa- to his oh girlfriend god, after his cheating so bad. God, you're yeah, so yeah. controlling. Oh, Why don't you yeah. let me cheat on you? <laughs> I got the quotes here. So it's, my father's a doctor. I think I know what I'm talking about. So fuck you, Ginny. And then after she calls him out, I lied. It's not my fault. You're stupid enough to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. And then later, uh, he tells uh, W.E. that his dad's a lawyer. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So this dude just, who knows what his dad does for a living? We'll never know. Um, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that setup is great. And then, so they, yeah, they're having that conversation. Um, and, uh, then we get them on like a dark wooden, wooded road on a detour and they crash into this other car that just has like a random guy in it. And he gets out of the car and it looks like he's fine and then just collapses. And, um, he's not dead. And that's important to remember is that the man is not dead yet um they go walking around trying to get help they come across darla's like real estate firm building and she this is something i haven't managed to fully unpack yet because they're obviously um this character's sexuality or sexualization rather is like through the roof um she's just flashing passers-by and spends a lot of time talking with jenny about her fake breasts like immediately after meeting um, and it's like, hey, like, they were not that expensive, and everybody loves them, and it's getting me attention in business. You should try it sometime. And then she's just, like, flashing random teens. Um, and we don't know yet that she's part of the whole thing. But she calls uh, Vilmer, who is Matthew McConaughey, and so our three friends are away from the cars, and Sean stayed back. And this... uh. I'm glossing over some stuff, which is just um, some good conversation while they're walking around, um, like both to get there and when they come across like the other house where they're just like when Heather has that moment, she's like, look, you understand that I'm not I'm just saying this right, like for attention and because like I don't actually I'm not actually an idiot. Like we understand this, uh, which I thought yeah. was like a great bit of awareness to have as I- totally dude and she talks briefly like about her parents yeah and um yeah and she admits that she she's a bitch but um she's also she knows what she's doing and it's the the first 20 minutes of this movie are just is such good character work i think horror Um, movie characters are so rarely given the benefit of the doubt because it's caricature so to uh see them peel it back pretty early is really nice yeah, yeah, I was I was so impressed. And so right off the bat, even before we get any horror stuff, I'm just loving watching these characters interact. I think there's a lot of really good lines in here. Funny stuff, um, just outrageous stuff, but also some really sincere stuff. And so I think I think this movie uh, really lays a good foundation for all the horrific stuff that's going to come later. Yeah, and so um, Sean is hanging out with the vehicles trying to get help. And... Um, Matthew McConaughey rolls up in his big tow truck and um, you don't notice he has a cyber leg until later. At least I didn't. Um, I didn't notice until they pointed it out basically. Um, (laughs) But so he like walks up and he's like, 
like he's doing his Matthew McConaughey thing. The genius of his whole performance is that it's as if they're self-awarely using Matthew McConaughey's shtick that way to make it scarier because he's just doing that. But he wasn't famous enough when he gave the original performance for that to be the case. So the fact that it worked out that way is extremely good in the movie's favor. Because I know this was after Dazed and Confused, but like he wasn't Matthew McConaughey yet. You know what I mean? Like, so the fact that it plays the way that it does is really impressive. But, um, so he goes to get the pulse off of the boy in the other car. Um, and is trying to convince Sean that, uh, that boy is dead. And when Sean puts up protest, he snaps his fucking neck. Yes. And and that is when you know the movie is on. Yeah. And I was, I was genuinely shocked. I think in part, because maybe I didn't really realize what the ages were of the characters, but um, going in, when I saw the opening credits only, I was fully expecting Matthew McConaughey to be a student. Yeah. So when he did, when he time. doesn't show up right away, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, maybe he's going to be like, uh, like you know how sometimes you'll have somebody who is removed from the horror situation but is aware of it and trying to like get help? You know what I mean. Um, yeah. That character. So then when he's the villain, I was like, oh, fuck, okay. And he... Uh, goes into this like just cr- really just deranged and upsetting like I'm gonna hunt man for sport bit where he's like oh boy we ain't even having fun yet like he's really fucking cranking up this like uh Texan rural nightmare man and he's like mm-hmm. chasing Sean up and down the road and like screaming and hollering and playing music and just shredding and he's like we're gonna have fun tonight boy we it's the night time we even haven't been started yet woo and yeah. uh, he's just fucking losing his mind and Sean's obviously acting about as well as Sean can to be scared running around and um, let's just say things don't end great for Sean oh my gosh dude the way it ends is sick Holy it's like fuck. I guess it's PG-13 in terms of what we actually see but, but what uh, he's doing is but what not he's doing. PG-13 so Matthew McConaughey in this tow truck he runs over Sean and then he backs up and he runs him over again, and then we just get this wide shot of Matthew running him over probably over and seven over and or eight over. times. Yeah. And it is, it's so, so cool because the way it's shot is that it's not, um, it's not gory and it's not super duper clear what's going on. There's a whole lot of shadows happening, but it's, um, it's it's kind of it kind of amplifies just the horror of the situation and it makes it so yeah. that this isn't just um a, a slasher kill where people were like the the effects team are exper- are experimenting with a new technique or something it it actually plays it very very straight and it makes uh Matthew McConaughey's character feel so much more real because the focus is on the the action it's that on he's the act performing. and not the result yeah, and I feel yeah. like a lot of slasher horror is driven on the result of the action, which is like the cool kill. But this is like it's focused on the act and like the the potential motivation behind the act. And it's weird because you know I'm doing a bad Matthew McConaughey impression, right? And I feel like somebody who hasn't seen the movie is gonna think that it works because it's like silly. And don't get me wrong, some of it's silly and some of it's really fucking funny, but in equal measure, some of it's really not funny and genuinely upsetting. 
And the fact that he's able to find that needle or that middle ground while cranking the needle up to 12 is impressive to me. Um, it's a, it's kind of miraculous, honestly. Um, and so, uh, we have Jenny, Heather and Barry and they're, um, they split up at one point. There's a couple vehicles that show up in and around the road, but they start following this one truck. Um, and Heather and Barry get to the house, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family house, the, um, Sawyer house, I believe is the name. I'm blanking on the name. For some yeah, reason. it's it's Sawyer in the original movies, slaughter but I believe in this, in this one it's Slaughter. Yeah. Yes. Um and so they they're they're knocking they they know someone's home because someone was just driving by and they're trying to get in. Um because they just want to ride back to where their cars were, which the cars are no longer there because Matthew McConaughey took them and also killed some people. Um and yeah, they don't know that. No. no, they're banging on the door and not getting let in. And Barry goes around back and Heather just like sits. First of all, Heather kicks the door and it just hurts and doesn't accomplish anything, <laughs> which <laughs> which was funny. But um, she just sits on the swing and then um, Leatherface just kind of shows up unannounced. That's kind of that's kind of his M.O., man. He yeah. does it in the first movie in yeah. an iconic scene. And yeah, we get it again here. Yeah, he shows up to uh, smell her hair. Um, and then scream <laughs> effectively, yeah. um, yeah. because obviously for Heather, the image of uh, a leather faced boy is bad and terrifying. Um, so she escapes by going into the house, uh, which was not smart. And, um, for me, this sequence where, um, Heather's trying to get away and there's like a chase and a genuine struggle happening between her and Leatherface, like genuinely scary and upsetting. I think part of it is just the performance selling it. Like she's really selling the terror, the the frustration, the not knowing where to go, the like just desperation for help. But also like it's very viscerally physical. And again, it's not gory, but like it's a lot of kicking and flailing and running and being picked up and put down and like trying to get through things like physically. Um, and I think within this like cluttered redneck nightmare of a house with um, the same 90s lighting that we get in all these horror movies that like Pet Cemetery and Carrie and all these other ones had where um, lights always cast like big white or blue shadows in the dark and there's always fog or something somewhere. So like this this interestingly lit sometimes um, house where she just can't get out, but it goes on for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, um, this this sequence is is right up there with the original in terms of how well, um, I guess, the choreography and the cinematography work here because it it just feel it does feel like a young woman desperately uh, fighting for her life against this hulking man who's trying to bring her into like basically literal hell because yeah. the house in this movie is so sordid and unsettling i think i think the set here is is just as good as in the original film and um the the actress is really just giving it her all she's flailing her limbs everywhere there's not a whole lot of cuts going on in the editing so no. you you get a good idea of um how trapped she feels in in this house because you're seeing the walls around her as he's taking her into different rooms and eventually he puts her in a um a cabinet freezer 
on the ground and she's kicking her way out of that and he's struggling to keep her in because again Leatherface is kind of doofy and he doesn't uh really have a game plan he's he's just acting on uh like really it's instinct or emotion yeah totally so it's it's not um it's not very clinical it's it's very frantic and and that's the that's why the original is so scary um and i think that kim henkel taps into that here the only difference between this sequence and in the original i think that people could knock it for is that the physicality of leatherface just the actor who's doing the performance and his mask i think are a bit lacking um yeah the mask on doesn't really look like skin it's not a great design and also you see far too much of the actor's face i think like you see his eyes way too well and so it feels a bit like a costume and um the actor is not quite as big and daunting as some of the previous actors who have played leatherface and so i do feel that in this movie but um but in terms of uh the setting and the production design and um heather's performance i think that this is legitimately unsettling and um particularly that freezer scene where she is pushing up on the freezer because it doesn't actually lock when you shut it it's an old crappy freezer and so she's she's kicking it up and and opening it and trying to get out and he's pushing her back in and she kicks it up again and so he puts a big random metal cylinder on the top of the freezer because he found it in his junk room It, it feels very real to me yeah and um so we go from that in in between barry shows up and uh gets got and it's not even clear that he's dead right away to me um but he is and um this is where the uh the meat hook bit happens because heather gets out of the freezer um in this like additional struggle and um that feels purely there because the movie is called texas chainsaw massacre and they felt like they had to put somebody on a meat hook at some point um it doesn't really need to be there. It It's not gory. It doesn't lean into that part. You see, like, blood on her back a bit later, but it's not really a factor, so it's kind of bizarre. Uh, but meanwhile, Jenny, who had been split up from the group, uh, comes across a friendly tow truck driver who she is hoping will give her a ride, um, and uh, she is asking if she can get taken somewhere specific, and he's just like, just get in. He's like, well, she's like, well, where are you going? She's like, just get in. He's like, will you take me to this place? Just get in. She's like, continuing to question and be like, I'm not just going to do fucking whatever, man. Like, you got to tell me that you're going to take me where I'm trying to go. Um, And so they get in and then we get our first bit of like them acting opposite each other, which uh, is, um, which is just bliss. And yeah. Um, and just a reminder to everyone, this is Renee Zellweger acting it, opposite Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey in a Texas oh Chainsaw God. Massacre movie. <laughs> they... Oh, they're they're just great. Um, so Matthew McConaughey is doing this weird, like, sort of abstract, like, you know what they say about getting into cars with strangers? <laughs> and uh, she's like, "What is that?" Um, or like, "Yeah, I yeah, yeah you know, yeah, whatever." <laughs> and like, he just sort of keeps talking, and it keeps getting like more specific and more like upsetting and like louder. And he starts like yelling again, and he's like trying to force her to look into the back of the vehicle and he wants she's like please stop and let me out he's like no we're like just starting to have fun and you're like oh no he said they're gonna have fun again that's never good we saw what happened when sean had fun 
And then we see what happened when Sean had fun, which is uh, somehow his body's totally fine after getting run over several times, but uh, it's in the back of the pickup truck. And uh, that's obviously a bad omen for our girl, Jenny. And um, she starts panicking and wants to get let out, and he's doing his big screaming hollering routine again. And um, she notices the door is slightly open and is like barrel rolls out of there. And then when she escapes into the woods and the truck gives chase, Leatherface just kind of shows up to continue that chase again that's um, his mo so the spatial awareness of like where they are in reference to the house isn't totally clear but it looks cool like it's got just like light big shining headlights in the dark and um she escapes into the trees and then she ends up getting to the same house uh which is bad and um this uh leatherface chase continues and this is another spot where she proves this like grounded realism but also like sense of hyper capability because it's not just like being resourceful that's not all you need to feel like a real character but she does feel resourceful like that chases her meat like climbing through things running jumping going out of windows onto the roof onto wires through fields like she's really fucking trying to get the fuck out of here in a way that i feel like a lot of horror characters and i think final girls will get this a lot earlier in movies is they're just made to kind of like fall over and then that's it. But yeah. like she puts up like a genuine effort. And through- I, 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 Go ahead. again, dude, this is this is directly from the first movie. Um, in the first film, we have a very strong final girl who fights the whole way through and just delivers one of the most, uh, I would say, like visceral yeah. and uh, affecting performances I've ever seen of a victim in a horror movie. And she's jumping through windows and she's running through the woods and getting cut up. And she is like fighting the whole way through. And so and she gets this- away several times. Yeah. Yeah. And so this movie, it does the exact same thing. So I think that this is right up there with the first movie again in having a really strong female character. Yeah. Um, because that does happen a couple times, it's hard to like totally keep track of, but here is when, um, is it only hard to keep track of because other things have happened in my life between now and watching this movie. So I want to make sure I get this right. But, um, so Jenny escapes that first confrontation with Leatherface and manages to get back to Darla, which is when she realizes that Darla's in on it. Uh, because WE shows up and, um, realizes that they're all in it with the uh, Vilmer who's driving the truck. And, uh, in one of the most upsetting things in the movie, I would argue, um, she gets stuffed in a bag, stuffed in the back of a car, and while uh, these two have like a petty familial argument, she's getting like miserably cattle prodded, and you can hear her just like, like whimpering and yelling and being like, "Why are you doing this? Like, why are you hurting me? Are you going to kill me?" And just like crying and screaming, and it's very, very fucking upsetting. And Renee Zellweger sells the fuck out of it. Yes, uh, I'm I'm totally with you, dude. I think what I want to stress about this movie and about the novelty of um, there being a fourth Texas Chainsaw movie that has Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey, and the the story kind of goes that um, the the studio who made this movie realized that they had two stars in a movie they had made a few years ago and tried to push it. But I think that what that implies to a lot of people is that. Renee and Matthew don't have decent parts in this movie and are just being exploited. But I want to emphasize that they 
are the two leads in this movie and they are um they're the two opposite leads again protagonist and antagonist and they are incredible they are killing it dude this is not um like it's not a novelty movie it's not something you go to just see them in their like briefly on screen in their early days or something this is a genuine uh really affecting like kind of debut performances for both of them and this is absolutely their movie and i think it's such a testament to the filmmakers who made this for casting these two yeah, people and, and their talent them such... because they clearly saw the talent early and they yeah, were because, right <laughs> because a lot of times you hear about um uh actors being in movies that are outside the genre that they ended up being famous for you see uh mainstream actors in genre films when they were getting their start and they often don't have much material and they're kind of in the background and so the fun is just seeing them back before they were famous but in this case you get two actors who um whose talents were recognized and are really being pushed to do great work and are being highlighted and rewarded for that great work and so this i don't think is just like a um a novelty and it's not just like an interesting fun fact i think that this movie should be recognized in both of their their filmographies because they are both just doing incredible incredible stuff here. and and in very different ways. Like, one of the great things about Renee Zellweger's performance is her ability to oscillate between um, sort of fear, desperation, um, like, sadness, upsetness, crying, exhaustion, and, like, confidence. Um, because there are several moments where she gets the upper hand as well, and you fucking believe it, and you believe that she has it in her to like take charge of the situation and she does try it doesn't always work but her ability to sell all of that in a believable way like we've all seen horror movies where like actors feel one note because they're really good at doing one part of it like maybe you have like a scream queen who's like really good at the like being chased part but then they're like fucking stiff as a board in the rest of the movie (laughs) which is not unusual but this just isn't that it's it's so well realized and it's so funny too because that her great performance in the trunk with the cattle prod um is being juxtaposed while darla and we are arguing about a how much he should be using the cattle prod and whether or not she's gonna get pizza on the way home and it's this very petty family domestic bullshit argument but putting it in a scene where he's like First of all, he's already established as a guy who quotes, like, classic literature and historical figures, which is just a weird juxtaposition on its own right with his, like, aesthetic and what you assume of a character that looks like that and his tendency to talk about, like, Machiavelli and Shakespeare. Um, But beyond that, um, the smartest thing it does in sidelining Leatherface is emphasize this weird nightmare family drama (laughs) that plays Mm -hmm. out in ways that sometimes feel silly, like... Um, the drive through scene is silly and it knows that an entire children's soccer team sees a woman in the trunk of a car and doesn't do anything. And the car behind them is a police officer who goes to check things out and somehow just misses that the trunk is making noise and right until he walks up to it. <laughs> like, yeah. And he just, he just flirts with Darla. Yeah, instead. And that scene's fucking hilarious. Like, well, she, Darla's just like, okay, I get it. it. Sucks being in the trunk of a car. I'm sorry. 
if I poke a hole in the bag so you can breathe, will you stop talking? And Jenny's just like, very just like quiet and me just like yes like god please yes um sadder than that but you get it and meanwhile an entire while the trunk is open and she's just talking to this bag an entire children's soccer team walks by the car mm-hmm. and um the guy in the drive-thru is like yo do you have something in your trunk and doll is like yeah i have a body back there there's a person yes. in the trunk. oh and, yeah you uh, want to come and he's it? like do you want to and he's like yeah but I don't think I can because I'm at my job. And she's like, oh, well, you're lost, bud. Um, so it's weird because I think verbally describing it, that sounds like it wouldn't work, but it does. Um, and it's just, it's so ambitious, dude. This is um, not just a typical slasher movie, really. I mean, you can tell from our first kill with Sean getting run over. And now here, the, the emphasis that's placed on the the villains in this movie and um, just kind of seeing the way that their brains work. Um, and, and this becomes more clear as the movie goes on. Uh, we get some great dialogue about it, but yeah, this scene in the drive through where Darla is, is talking to this dude who's working there. It just, it feels like we are legitimately just watching a troubled person who is uh, doing very awful things. Um, not because they were born evil, but because they are a person who has uh, um, had certain circumstances yeah. uh, happen to them, and so you know, it's 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 this idea that that horror often is not committed by people who are pure evil, because pure evil might not even exist. Horror is committed by people who are humans, and uh, this stuff happens. And so um, that's kind of been a concept of the Texas Chainsaw franchise from the beginning, because in that first movie, Leatherface is not just a force of evil. He is in a family dynamic, yeah. and he is being manipulated. And so we get that here as well with Darla, um, well, who and- also gives a great performance, and yeah it's just it's super affecting darla is also a great example of like the banality of that evil because like i don't know they have a really hardcore makeout sesh later so maybe she's just like into vilmer and that's fine but like there are flashes of her at least i i think it's genuine i don't think it's her um just putting it on but not really wanting to do any of the bad shit (laughs) and being like hey man this is sucks and it's going to continue to suck. And that sucks. Um, but you look really nice. And uh, it will be over eventually. Um, mm-hmm. And you you do kind of get the impression that it's not just her trying to make Jenny comfortable. Like it's, And I think they're trying to set it up sort of as like almost like a girl talk kind of thing for lack of a better word. But like um, because it's when... Darla tries to explain that Vilmer um, is part of a secret society of the people, uh, including the people that killed JFK. Um, and he's like part of the death Illuminati and this is just his job. So she's like trying to sort of downplay it a little bit. Um, and uh, between that and like just stopping to get dinner and this weird family thing, like you really do get the impression that they're not really cognizant of the degree to which this is a fucking nightmare. Um, or if they are, they're trying to like just sort of work through that as quietly as possible. But this is when we start getting more and more um, of Matthew McConaughey. Um, And he cranks it to levels on the dial as yet unforeseen. Dude goes fucking wild in this movie. It's It's the opposite of Jenny's performance only because it's so heightened. But 
it's so heightened that it comes back around to just being like, if this dude were real, he'd be fucking terrifying. Um, because he like you, they get Jenny inside and he like has her locked in a room and he's like holding her by the neck and like getting really on her and like threatening to slit her throat. And he's like, what's like, give me one good reason why I shouldn't just do this now. And, uh, she says something to the effect of like, because you want to do more (laughs) or like there's more fun to be had basically. And he's like, that's a good answer. Hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because it feels like a genuine, like he's thinking good point. I'm going to continue to do this. Um, and they sort of work through the house and, you know, there's bits about like, guys, you have to eat or the pizza's going to get cold while we're committing these murders. Um, but Matthew McConaughey really, uh, when Jenny gets the shotgun is when Matthew McConaughey really fucking goes for it. Do you want to talk about that scene a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a really, um, important moment in the movie for both characters because we have, um, Jenny, she, she gets one of the villains shotguns and she points it at, um, at Vilmer, Matthew McConaughey. And she says, maybe it's not loaded, but maybe it is. So fuck you. And she's really, um, I will shoot. (laughs) Yeah. She is asserting herself and, um, Matthew McConaughey is, is surprised, but I think more so he's impressed by what it is that she's doing and he's he's not scared because this isn't a dude who um has a has, uh, has has like a proper grasp on uh on life and um and so he he's not scared but he is uh taken aback by this and eventually he gets he he gets the shotgun from her by putting it in his mouth and screaming having her into it. screaming and having her pull the trigger and it doesn't work, um, doesn't fire. And then he laughs, he steals the gun, and then he shoots a window out with it. Yeah. Um, and importantly, this is happening while a domestic argument is ongoing between other people about yeah. how they should go about defusing this situation so they can continue the torturing. Yes. Meanwhile, Heather's just on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just and, bleeding onto the ground. And, eh? and McConaughey, in the lead up to him grabbing it, is just like demented, just like screaming, like, "Oh man, like, are you gonna it's do hit. it? I don't think you're gonna fucking do it." <laughs> just like fucking shouting, and he starts like, "Is this when he starts cutting himself, or is that after the shotgun's fired?" But at a certain point, he starts just like cutting up. Oh yeah, he's like, she's like, everybody down on their knees. I'll shoot. Like, don't fuck with me. And he, he like, walks up close. He's like, what, you think I'm fucking scared of a gun? And then he just, like, opens his shirt and, like, slits a giant cut across his chest. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. no. And and this is also, um, I, I would say, a callback to the first movie. But also, I think it's more than that. It's because it's not there to make you think about the first movie. Um, I'm actually only just realizing that it's from the first movie now. So it works in the context of this film. But it's so, it's a... Uh, it's kind of a continuation of the themes and the horror we see in the first movie, because in that first one, um, the, the, the kids um, pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And this is our first introduction to any bit of horror in the film. The hitchhiker starts cutting up his own hand with a knife oh, no. and terrifying the rest of them. And he, th- that hitchhiker is Leatherface's brother. So again, we have um, this family. Yeah. <laughs> 
so again, it's this it's this family that just has such a warped idea of uh, pain and mutilation, and um, it is is it's terrifying in both movies. Yeah, and um, so unfortunately, Jenny is back in a bad situation after that. Um, is this around the point where she gets like the uh, wardrobe change, and they they start sort of like getting to the heart of the matter? Which is so they go to the like kitchen area <laughs> or the dining room, which is uh I was hoping you could explain this. Um full of a dead family. Um yep. but at one point the old man just gets up and walks out of the room. Yes. Oh, Why was dude. that man alive? I am so excited for you to see the original Texas chainsaw because normally when I, I say I know that, there's a bit at a dining room table in that movie, but I don't understand how this plays into that at all. Yeah, so I won't spoil um, the original movie for you. I will say that this movie is doing very similar things that doesn't feel like a lesser version and doesn't feel like a ripoff. Because a lot of times I say to you, oh man, uh, it's, it sucks that you're seeing it this way first. Uh, because if you, if you don't like it for this reason in this movie, uh, you would love it in the original because it does it the other way. Or if you kind of like it in this movie, the original does it way better. And, and I'm not going to say that here because I think this movie absolutely works. But what I will say is that if you if you like it or love it in this movie, uh, you're gonna also have a lot of a lot of uh, sick entertainment out of the first movie because this this movie falls right in line. It it is so um, it is so well suited for the franchise having this dinner scene sort of climax and this family that looks so uh, I mean I guess deceased and decaying but isn't. <laughs> That's that's a that's a Looks big so moment deceased. in the in the original, and so uh, yeah, it's it's great and it's horrifying. And I just got a note. I don't know if you caught this, mm-hmm. um, but when Matthew McConaughey enters the the kitchen, the the dining room, he pushes open the door and he goes, "All right, all right, all right." All right. All right. Yeah, I heard that, and, and I dude, I immediately my, had to check. Um, I checked after the movie, but I was like, "Was this before or after Days of Confused?" Yeah, and my dude, my mouth fucking dropped, and I went back and I listened to it again to make he sure. He reads it and my, almost the same way as he does my, in Days to Confused. My guess is that okay, Days to Confused came out in '94, um, so th- these movies were probably shot around at the same time because again, though this was '97, it was delayed a few years, and I think that Matthew McConaughey is just such a presence in both of those movies. Days of Confused is one of my favorite movies; it's totally incredible. I think that his presence in both movies, a lot of it just comes from his uh, his instincts and his adeptness at inhabiting these characters yeah. and also at just being such a presence yeah, and so he, i he think he is in- matthew mcconaughey it up it feels and sounds like a matthew mcconaughey performance but it also doesn't yeah and so it it's that leaning illuminated- on that stick that he has but it's not that <laughs> Yeah, and so that illuminated Dazed and Confused for me because I was like, holy shit, if he's saying it in both movies, that must be a Matthew McConaughey original that he just did in both movies. And so um, that means that his iconic quotable line um, that people refer use to refer to Dazed and Confused, it's only associated with Dazed and Confused because that movie was much bigger. But he does the same thing here, and it works for both characters. It's so and good. so I I think that but, that is they a Matthew play McConaughey so differently, obviously. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, the guy in Dazed and Confused, whatever his name is, is not a cyber-legged nightmare man. 
Yeah, that's I wish true. the cyber leg came up more because I keep saying it, but there's no reason to talk about it yet. Um, well, I think until, we might get there until a, roughly now. Um, yeah. So in this sequence as well, uh, it devolves into sort of family bickering again. And um, Renee Zellweger is able to take charge again. And she has, what does she have? She has some kind of weapon again. Does she not? Because mm, I, I don't recall. Because I'm trying to set up my favorite line in any movie ever, which is when Leatherface tries to stand up yep. to like leave the room, and she just goes, "You sit the fuck down." Yes, it is. Oh my god, <laughs> it is so so iconic, and it speaks. It is volume. Funny and then he just like very sheepishly sits down. Yeah, it's it it speaks volumes for the character work on display here because this is not doing a disservice to our iconic horror movie villain. Um, I've heard some arguments related to other horror movies like uh, the Halloween franchise where there are instances where Michael Myers is just like totally neutered. A, a good example would be Halloween Resurrection when Buster Rhymes mm-hmm. like uh, <laughs> roundhouse kicks him, you know? Um, and, and I think that is a, a much goofier movie than this one. And so for that movie, I'll say fair point. But for this movie, this is the kind of character Leatherface has been from the beginning. We were talking about it earlier that he is totally he's sheepish and he um uh probably he can't really doesn't seem like he can really think for himself. You even see it in the sequences where he has a parent agency where he's putting Heather in the freezer and then after he finally does find a way to secure her in there, he looks absolutely terrified. And so um this is not a dude who is stable and is confident or even aware of what he's doing and so when we get jenny's character finally realize that um and maybe maybe not even realize it explicitly but just um totally take charge and be the kind of person she was who who she um who she uh showed herself to be in that opening car scene when she was talking down to barry and calling him a liar for the bullshit that he was saying you see it again here that she's she knows where she stands and she's she's gonna take charge of this situation and a a great and natural way to do that is to tell off the Leatherface boy who actually doesn't really uh know what he's doing and um you can kind of kick his ass pretty easily just by scolding him it's amazing here's a great quote um from justin yandel from bloody disgusting yes Um, i've read this yeah i'm gonna read it quick uh leatherface once once efficient methodical and near silent now struggles to completely capture or kill his victims all the while screaming like a petulant child the family, no longer backwater cannibals, dines on pizza instead of the fresh meat of their victims. The dinner sequence, originally one of the most effective and horrifying sequences ever committed to film, goes so far off the rails it climaxes with Jenny turning the tables on her captors and scolding Leatherface into sitting down and shutting up. The ineffectiveness of all of this is intentional, and we know this because a man in a limo pulls up and openly acknowledges it. And it's interesting because... The the sort of self-parody element of how heightened a lot of this family dynamic stuff is feels obvious, um, but I feel like if you're not tied to the franchise, it's obviously not as effective at building like genuine tension and scares throughout the movie, but even without the raw element of self-parody, uh, I still find it effective as like gripping cinema 
and um, this is when this is when the movie fully uh, decides that the rails are no longer needed. Um, yeah, because we, we off them. We don't need them. Yeah, where we're going, we don't need rails because. <laughs> um, so Darla established that Vilmer works for a secret society that kills people for like a thousand or two thousand years, one of the two, and. Um, so uh, a man in a limo pulls up. His name is Rothman. He's got weird nightmarish Hellraiser scars and piercings all over his stomach. And um, he's a man in a suit. And he uh, pities the abhorrent state of affairs and the terrible circumstances that Jenny has been stuck in. Because they're just supposed to show people the true meaning of horror, right? Um, and this is just a fucking... They're, they're, uh, this is a dog's breakfast as far as this guy is concerned. This dude is pissed off. He's not happy about how this is going. And uh, then he licks Jenny's face a lot, which is bad and I don't like it. Um, and I guess that's just to illustrate the horror thing further. And he's basically scolding the Slaughter family for doing a fucking terrible job at this, which is kind of wild. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about it and I'm starting to think that... Uh, you can kind of put together the what we talked about with Jenny sort of like learning more about the world and like asserting herself in like um, a understanding that the world has like evil things in it. And like, that's just how that's going to be sometimes. Um, and that outspokenness with um, the fact that even within this family, um, it doesn't seem clear that anybody like you think that, Matthew McConaughey wants to be doing it right until at the very end when he uh, cyber leg crushes Heather's skull. Um, he starts like panicking and screaming and crying and cutting himself viscerally and like trying to end his life. And Darla has to convince him that it's not his fault. And with this man in black addition to the whole equation, when you associate that with the family drama and that with the fact that they keep getting happened upon by strangers, I can't help but get the impression that it's not just saying that like the world is shitty and Jenny's going to have to live with that, but that um, even within like safe relationships or like family dynamics, um, both the people around you can be the negative influence. And there are things in the world that are beyond your control that will negatively influence your life. That being this like secret society element where it's like, this is purely out of your hands and it's the reason all of this happened, and there's nothing you can do but deal with it. And I think that's a compelling idea, because a lot of things focus on, like, the evil of, like, humanity, or, like, what dwells within man, or all these other fucking things. But scarcely, I think, do you get something that focuses very purely in on the, like, you know, sometimes outside influences just make shit bad. And you have yeah. to be an adult. Yeah, that's that's a great reading, Corey. I really like that. I think the introduction of the secret society, um, aside from being and, fucking hilarious, to be fair, it's back, hilarious. Yeah, it's it's super hilarious, but also it is. I think it's just a great um, little bit of spice at the end of this movie um, because it's 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 the movie has made itself clear up until this point that it's not. Um, trying to be a typical slasher movie it's it's reckoning with things that the first and second movie and maybe the third movie which i haven't seen have established and so then to have this secret society member come in and and um 
gold, the entire family. So this is now one more layer on top of the family who controls Leatherface. Now it turns out there's someone else controlling this family. I think it is it is um, such an uh, interesting and I think uh, well-earned thing to do because the movie has has already done so much that has won me over and so it does not feel ridiculous to have this dude come in it's like funny and i don't understand it immediately but it's also really cool to think about justin yadell in that bloody disgusting piece that you read an excerpt from also makes an argument that um this it, this dude is a representation of uh, the horror genre from the last 10 to 15 years and is now um scolding the family for um well, I guess, what it's become because for the what genre become, has declined i guess yeah and and also just yeah for being so ineffective and um so so bad interesting it for being yeah so the family is being ineffective in the the diegetic world here of of killing jenny but also is being ineffective as at, horror uh, cinema to an audience yeah, yeah, because Ooh. they're not they're not your conventional villains. Uh, we've talked about that the entire time, and so I don't think that the introduction of the Man in Black is um, is too is too crazy because um, you and I have already picked up on the the atypical use of villains in this movie and um, the atypical use of. Uh, our protagonist characters and the, the the depths that we've been shown there. And so I think this I think this man in black comes in right at the at the right time, not too soon, not too late. I think he doesn't overstay his welcome. I think after he drops in, um, it feels natural when we get back to the the bigger climax with Leatherface. I think it is really just uh, another element to a movie that is is not just a fun horror movie, but is also really worth thinking about. Yeah, and then, yeah, right after this, like you're saying, we get, like, our final chase with Leatherface, um, and it's daytime now, and um, you're sort of getting yeah. things that are... She was sprinting She was sprinting through the woods for, like, six hours. Yeah. It's suddenly daytime. You're, like, it's broad fucking daylight. Like, it's not even <laughs> twilight. Like, it's, like, it's like 1130. Um, <laughs> it's lunch. Her cardio is insane. <laughs> and the fucking old people driving the RV are drinking fucking Caesars. Um, <laughs> so, and I feel like there's shots here that are maybe meant to be reminiscent of the first movie with like running down a dirt road kind of shit. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So and, then, and then we also, we, there's also a bit of a, a callback to the second movie when Leatherface is in the truck next okay, to the yeah, RV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she tries to get, picked up by this elderly couple that refers to each other by Mr. and Mrs. their last name, which is hilarious and adorable. And um, they don't want to let her in until they realize she's being chased by a chainsaw-wielding maniac man. And then they let her in, and then suddenly Leatherface is riding the tow truck that Vilmer is driving, and I think W.E. is also there. And he starts like chainsawing through the side of the RV, and the RV flips, and then Jenny gets out of the RV, and I guess the old couple just died because they're old, and that's what happens when you get in a car accident and you're old. And um, they continue to give chase, and uh, Vilmer is there, and he's got his robot leg, and they're chasing, and they got the chainsaw, and whatever. And um, a plane just kind of <laughs> appears and um, starts flying really low, and it hits Vilmer in the head with a wheel, and he dies. 
and that's just sort of it for him and it's not clear who's flying the plane or why or where it came from you uh you kind of assume that because the limo shows up that it has something to do with Rothman in this like secret society that they're just putting an end to it but it's also in the funniest way possible and it's unfucking believable and um so Jenny gets sort of rescued by Rothman and I guess if we want to carry that analogy further um because Jenny is the one competent figure in the movie that survives do we want to make the argument that this is the horror genre saving the redeemable parts of itself and letting it try to continue to fight another day to like get back to where it was in its golden days? Is that I reaching buy it. too hard? I buy it, man. I think that no, I think that's totally valid, honestly. <laughs> and then when you get in the hospital and like she zones out and sees like the patient, you're seeing like the remnants of the uh the negative bits about where the genre had gone that the movie's critiquing the whole time, sort of distracting from what its future could be if Jenny is embodying that because it is this competent, capable, well performed, well understood thing. Um and then we just kind of get Leatherface spinning with the chainsaw and the movie's kind of over. Well, not before uh, we see um, Marilyn Burns, who is the final girl of the first movie. She is the one on the gurney who gets oh, wheeled by okay. and and Jenny notices her. Which is very, that makes the very read of the scene completely different, yeah. Because yeah. you can just compare them directly at that point. Um, yeah. So... We did just talk about a movie where Matthew McConaughey has a bootleg-looking cyber leg with a big um, tube on it that's controlled by TV remotes that he uses to crush a teenager's skull. Um, and he screams into a shotgun barrel. And um, at one point, Heather uh, Jenny steals the remote and makes his leg not work, and it's the funniest shit in the world um, because they're having like a remote fight. And yet, there is much to think about. <laughs> with this movie um this movie's got a lot of dumb hilarious shit in it but it's also um really thoughtful not just in i guess what we've established here is its commentary on the genre itself but if you want to look at it strictly in what characters and dynamics are saying about people and dynamics that we have in our real life like there is still an argument to be made that it's has something to say about that as much as it's about horror on its own and i think the fact that a movie that's been largely disdained and forgotten despite being a vehicle for two very big movie stars that have been famous as long as we've been alive really warrants this movie to get a full-on re-examination from more people than just us and one guy at Bloody Disgusting. Yeah, or at least a Blu-ray. Or at least, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the start to the change. Maybe a Blu-ray has to happen first. I don't know. Yeah, maybe someone really... Uh, needs to go bully the people at Scream Factory or yeah. Arrow or something, and they need to give us a Blu-ray, goddammit. Oh, 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 wait, Corey, I'm learning here. There is a Blu-ray. Where? From who? Who put it out? Sc Scream Factory. Holy announced shit. Announced it uh, on September 2018. Um, the... the Zellweger and McConaughey couldn't be on the poster because of licensing issues, but the Blu-ray was released in December. Oh my God. The theatrical cut, director's cut, and optional commentary by Kim Henkel and other special features. So that absolutely needs to be the How first Blu-ray I buy for my yesterday? collection. <laughs> I know. We looked hard. Oh man, we look like such fools. It's right here on the wiki page. Wow. Okay. 
Well, I am. I mean, I'm glad we started off the episode saying that's what there needs to be, and so and I, it exists, uh, and it exists. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm I'm glad. Oh I'm boy, glad. It's a lot of money, though. Oh man, uh, Amazon, uh, which I'm not logged into currently, um, is telling me that uh, it's sixty three forty four. Well, you know what? That's less than what I saw one of the DVDs going for. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> because it's out of print. It could Maybe. be like I what don't I know how many they made. I need to uh, sell my DVD copy in to order pay to get a for Blu-ray. a Blu-ray. But I guess if I'm gonna if I'm gonna now consider myself a super fan of the next generation, maybe I need to keep that DVD as I well. I need get... to, I need to collect them all. Two things I actually just thought of: a, it keeps cutting to uh, a fu- a shot of the full moon. Don't know why. And the cover for this edition of the Blu-ray is the full moon and cross-dressed Leatherface, and the slogan is the same one from the poster which just says if looks could kill he wouldn't need a chainsaw which is a funny line but none of that is anything that i think about when i think about the movie like the yeah. movie's not about this that's true i wonder dude i wonder like how the amazon has the dvd for 20 bucks by the way anyway continue Oh, that's that's still a decent amount of money um, for what I got it for. Uh, yeah, I wonder how the the logistics of taglines work. Like who? But the tagline's who, been that the whole time apparently, because the DVD release, which looks old as shit, is um, putting on lipstick, but the lipstick is a chainsaw, which I kind of like, and it just says, "If yeah. looks could kill, he wouldn't need a chainsaw." He's barely in the movie. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Like maybe, maybe um, Scream Factory like wasn't able to change the tagline. You know what I mean? And they just had to keep it. Because I would, I understand why that's in the on the DVD cover because at that point people are after Leatherface. But um, I would think that 20 years removed, uh, people. Uh, who are super into this movie enough to get the Blu-ray and make the Blu-ray would realize that it's not quite Leatherface's movie. I mean, I get why he's on the poster. He's got to be there, but yeah, you know, it's just just a small thing. But but you're right. You're right. It is kind of strange. Yeah. But yeah, so, uh, well, we're going to buy this movie probably. I think that's what we've sort of established. Um, It's incredible to me that we're starting off season two so strong because, um, Everybody go watch this movie. It's not super easy to find. Um, you might have to dig a little bit. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But Jesus, for the love of God, watch the movie. Like, we just talked for two hours. What do you want us to say? <laughs> like, Totally. I mean, dude, it, it absolutely blew me away. Um, I, I saw my two-star rating from a few years yeah, ago. and old Liam. And, old Liam and, sucks. Yeah. All my friends hate and, old Liam. <laughs> And like, as I recall, I mean, that's probably how I felt about it. And so I guess I just wasn't, I just, I didn't have the proper brain back then. I didn't, maybe I wasn't well read enough or I wasn't, I wasn't in the right mindset. I don't, I don't know, but this is, this is, this movie kills, man. It, and uh, if looks could kill, this movie, this movie would kill. If this, if looks could kill, this movie would need a chainsaw. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't even I don't even have closing thoughts. Just go listen to the two hours I just spent saying all my thoughts about it. It's fucking great. It's 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 shocking in how good it is because you wouldn't expect it going in. Um, and that's not because we don't give the movie the benefit of the doubt. Just like on paper, 
you can expect this movie to be better than you would assume it to be, but you would never expect it to be this. And um, it's such a gift that that's what it is. It's such a remarkable thing that this movie is real. Um, and we're lucky to have it. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. I know, dude. It, do- it doesn't feel like you are. I'm right there with you. This and- movie... It's awesome. And it's great that I feel like over the course of this podcast, and maybe this is a great note to start season two on, is that I feel like I've got more of an appreciation for movies that don't fit the, like, Criterion Channel mold. Because I feel like, especially with, like, film classes, it's easy to sort of... And this is not to say that you shouldn't seek out, like, art house movies or, like, foreign movies or, like, quote-unquote fancy boy art movies. Because all of those are exceptional for obvious reasons. Um, And they're studied for obvious reasons. And obviously the horror genre has been a subject of study for fucking eons at this point. But I feel like I am at a point now that I've seen so many more movies like this that I'm in a better position to appreciate what it is and what it's doing. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm glad that we're starting on a note for the second season of this show that lays that to bear so obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really think that over the last year i've learned a lot too i i can pretty much guarantee that if we had watched this movie um as our first pick texas chainsaw 3d i don't know if i would have felt the same way i don't know if Um, i even would have liked it very much yeah i think the the scholarly work we've done here of of watching um oft forgotten installments in franchises and the way that we've looked at them and compared them to the older movies but also in some cases uh not compared them at all and just took them and compared um, them to other movies that we've seen like growing that catalog i think has been so important yeah yeah and so this movie um i i'm really i am really glad to have it as a touchstone i'm glad that i've come around to it um at the young age of 23 and now i have the rest of my hopefully long life to spend with it because this is a special <laughs> special movie yeah yeah welcome to season two of they made another one we're here that's it that's all um thanks to everybody once again for listening to another episode of they made another one and uh we hope you will stick around for the rest because uh, obviously we're very excited to keep doing it you can find us all <laughs> over the internet on twitter at they made another all one word and on letterboxd at tmao You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and your favorite Matthew McConaughey line read from this movie. Um, Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd for an edited and improved rating of Texas Chainsaw Massacre What's the, the rating? Generation. Uh, well, you'll have to go check it oh. out, but it won't be two stars, I'll tell you that. All right. Uh, and, and my username there is Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price, where I am bound to give this movie a glowing review. And um, yeah, we're here. Season two, baby. We're in it. And uh, can't think of a better way to start. And I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Um, tune in next week. We'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one. <laughs>